Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome to the Autocar Podcast, my week in cars with Pryor here. Cropley over there. Hello, Stephen. Hello, mate. How's it going? Good, thank you. We are going to talk over the next half an hour or thereabouts our respective autocar columns and much more besides, including uh, your trips around the new year, which are still ongoing. We've been to a lot of places very soon, haven't we? It's picked up very Yeah, I mean, we met, didn't we? uh, Well, we had a go at recording this uh, yesterday at the Bista Scramble and... Failed miserably and had to do it again. Too busy, mate. Too busy, too, 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 too busy, too much going on. Yeah, too much going indeed. on. Uh, a letter from Arshad Mahmood says, actually, it's a good letter in the mag the other day, letter of the week from Bill Geisen, who says um, that as well as EVs arriving, as they've come, they've come with new look interior interfaces that he struggles to get on with. It's quite an interesting letter about the difference between a traditional car as you and I know it, and you know how how far away some of the new EVs are pitched compared to them. Anyway, Bill says he's not going to have one. But Arshad writes to say, I am a not-so-young 67-year-old and have been retired for nearly five years. I have a Porsche Boxster 981S, but I replaced my Audi Q7 3-litre diesel when I retired with a BMW 330e because the golf course is three miles away from home and the Audi engine wasn't even getting warm. So now most of the golf mileage is on a battery. Then, a couple of months ago, we replaced my wife's Ford Focus runaround with a four-year-old Nissan Leaf. And as I take that to the gym, Monday to Friday, sounds like quite a nice life now, doesn't it? Yeah, he's he's living the life, isn't he? Pretty pretty well sorted. Uh, I was getting fed up with having to scrape ice uh, off of the screen in the winter and get into the cold car for the gym run first thing in the morning. Now it's warm, ice gone by 6.30 in the morning. So horses for coursing, I guess, nothing wrong with new tech can't argue with that can you no i can't argue with it i i think that's the right attitude too mm. you know it's there's nothing wrong with the old tech but it works for him and and yeah. uh I, I find it interesting i all this new graphics and new switch gear and I've, i i love it I, every time it's a bit of an adventure i mean i hate getting lost in it mm. sometimes if you get led up the blind alleys but we've had this conversation haven't we but we have but normally you know there's a ah it's an exciting new display i like it mm. So tell me, the year started January first. Yeah, off to Brooklyn. Cars, off to Brooklyn. Yeah, I've often done it, mm. um, and you find you know other folks like Richard Bremner, John Simister, those sorts of uh, sort of mad classic car f- uh, enthusiasts. Mm. They were there, both of them, and a bunch of other blokes besides. A thousand, uh, in fact, twelve hundred cars. I think it was their biggest ever entry. 1,200 classics. 1,200 classics. That's good, isn't it? And, so, and there are more people, presumably, besides who Yeah, 5,000 people. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a... Yeah, in fact, I went in the um, the big um, uh, Ford American Ute, in fact, Australian South African Ute. Yeah. And um, 
Uh, there were as many people parked in the adjacent, uh, you know, industrial estate car park as there were parked up the hill. So I, I believe the attendance was 5,000 plus. It's pretty good. Really good. Yeah. Quite a reasonable day. It didn't rain until the afternoon when we were all more or less departing. It's one of those, um, you know, arrive reasonably early, wander around, look at everything, talk to your mates, go home. Mm. No pressure. Lovely. And a museum's open... It's, 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 it's a classic car meet, but the museum... The yeah, the, museum, the Brooklyn's Museum is open, yeah. yeah. And all the eats and restaurants and so on. Yeah. And, of course, next door is Mercedes-Benz World. And I went over there in the afternoon, mm. invited by the bloke who runs things, a guy called Ed Redfern, mm-hmm. son of a very good friend of ours. Yeah. And he, um, he runs this four-car um, stunt driving team called... Silver Arrows, which and they there are these C, four C forty threes that go around at rather prodigious speed for the for the <laughs> at least for the surfaces available. Yeah, and um, I sat in with Ed and and we we did this this um, this routine with these these cars about five feet apart. It was amazing, and they go pretty quick to then pretty sideways, don't they? Yeah, is that right? Well, there's a there's a skid pan. Uh, there's a very you know you can hardly stand up on it. There's one of those. Very slippery skid pans. There's a, there's a, the outer ring is a bit less slippery, but still slippery. Right. That is at the end of a a proper handling track, as you and I would understand it, where they get to deploy their 500 plus, and they you know the place is, you know, there are clouds of tire smoke all over the place. It was yeah. it was really good. I've uh, I've had a go around it myself, not you know with any distinction, but it's good fun there. And the thing that always strikes me is that. Here is a place where you can do 100 miles an hour inside the M25. Yeah, it's not very uh, it's not very common that sort of place, is it? And they just they seem to be able to run all day every day. It's quite enough yeah. far enough away from houses yeah. that it doesn't annoy too many people. No, I they they don't they've been doing it a long time, so mm. I guess the the neighbors are used to it and there is there is space around. Yeah. So uh, yeah. and I, I always think that, you know, it is the world's oldest purpose-built race circuit and if you happen to move in there after yeah it was built well it's your lookout isn't it? yeah that's right anytime after 1909 (laughs) you've got to expect it then yeah yeah exactly yeah uh and then well we both went to caffeine and machine where we recorded last week's podcast yeah but yesterday have you been anywhere else between then and yesterday which was the first bista heritage scramble of the year no i turned it no just the four really the but yeah, the Bista Heritage just the four in the first week of the year. Oh, it's a, that's remarkable, isn't it? Well, it, it is compared with go. the way life used to be. I think, yeah. yeah. You know, where people would say, "Well, we don't do anything until after Easter," mm. but now there's so many lovers of cars and so many pretty serviceable cars anyway. Yeah, that that they can go out at all times of the year. I mean, you've still got to watch out for the salt, don't you? If you've got a Ford Capri, say, yeah. yeah. But if you hose it off, you're fine. I saw a, an Audi 200 estate yesterday in silver, looking just fantastic up at the Bista Scramble. And I don't know when the last time I saw an Audi 200 estate was. C-plate, so what would that be, 1986? Six or something like yeah. that. Yeah, but, you know, looked totally clean. And that is approaching 40, isn't it, that yeah. car? Yeah, yeah. I think if you went back 20 years, 30 years... And then took a forty-year-old car. Then they would not be in such a good state. No, you know, they, they would not have stood up. 
That's for it. The test of time. They're the ones that have disappeared, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're, you know, we all we wonder where they all are. We we were having a chat about Renault Fuego the other day, cool. which is really interesting. Would be make such an interesting car now, wouldn't it? But they're gone. Yeah, yeah. My, I mean, uncle, my uncle had one. I remember it. Did he? Weirdly fondly. Yeah, I remember going on a big family holiday. My uncle and aunt coming to and being in the Fuego, driving around somewhere in the West Country, possibly, possibly Cornwall, Devon, Cornwall. Madness is I like driving in my car and Uncle Rog every time at the end of the chorus going doing that you know totally inappropriate but, but I remember that distinctly a long time ago uh, but yeah where is where are the Fuegos yeah and they are just and the Renault 14s and the, yeah. and the Renault 12s and cars like that I mean I don't mean to pick on Renault it's the same mm. for Vauxhall and it was the same for VW for that matter yeah not really actually come to think of it when you look at all the Beatles that are around well they do. But there were a lot, a lot of them made, weren't they? Because yeah. they do rot a bit. I mean, mine is slowly disintegrating in is it? in a dry shed. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Porsche 917, one had a magnesium chassis, I think. And that's a problem because magnesium corrodes in yeah. even the driest of atmospheres. Does it? Yeah, apparently. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a thing. I didn't know that. It's, a, it's an issue. That, so at one point, this 917, I think, can't be driven. But at some point, it will just collapse under its own weight oh, right, okay. at some point in the future. Gosh. And I think there's nothing you can There'll do There'll be about. a loud report while you're lying in yeah. bed. I think, anyway. I think that's true. I may have misremembered. I think your Renault 2, uh, your, Renault, your uh, Audi 200 mm. was made of aluminium, wasn't it? Oh, I don't know. I think, they, I think they discovered aluminium construction early on. Oh, interesting. Uh, around about the time of the Audi 100. Yeah. And uh, so I've got a feeling that it, it would be very good. There was a brochure open in the boot that you could look through the tailgate. Split tailgate, brother. Uh, split tailgate, that's not what I mean. Two pieces of tailgate glass yeah. divided by a spoiler okay. in, the, in a way that is very common today and is good for aerodynamics. But also had a rear wash wiper in a way that you wouldn't find. Oh. Anyway, you look through the back, there was a brochure open and there was a picture inside of an Audi 80 of that era with uh, BBS alloys. I've got yeah. to say, mate. I don't want to bang on about old cars and how great they are, but oh my goodness, it just looked. I agree. With such you. a good looking, such beautiful, a good beautiful car. styling. Yeah. yeah. Incidentally, that um, I, I can never hear the mention of a rear wash wipe without thinking of my mates in the used car trade who used to re- refer to that as a B day. Seven, no, hang on. How many people at a Sand Day Scramble? 7,000, 5,000, 7,000? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It, nice it, day seemed to, it didn't seem to be quite as busy as the uh, the, the sort of bumper events in the summer. Hmm. But it was very, there were plenty to see, wasn't there? And there yeah. were, um, we seemed to, I don't know, you seemed to run into half of the readership of autocars. Great yeah. fun. Yeah, I, look, I really enjoy it. Really well, enjoy them. Uh, oh, there was a car of the year. Exhibition as well, wasn't there? Because there's a feature in Classic and Sports Car this month, cover story, in fact, written by Simon Hucknall, who, because it's the 60th anniversary of Car of the Year. Yeah. Yeah. In which you and I both feature. Yeah, as ex jurors. What was the. Talk me through the premise. Well, I think think the the plan was to get, you know, a, a, a great car from each of the decades that mm. we're talking about right up to the modern era yeah and for us as jurors ray hutton was another one mm. ray hutton was was with the jury a very long time indeed you know he was the president and all the rest of it he was a you know real mover and shaker 
And we were all supposed to drive, along with Simon Hucknell, we were all supposed to drive these cars um, and uh, make a judgment about the ones we liked, I guess. It was that straightforward. Yeah. And uh, the debate has always been over whether or not the Car of the Year jury has made a good decision. I mean, it inevitably it happens every year, but it looked at, you know, from rather or further away, it is it is interesting to look at some of these cars. Some of them are rather un- unadventurous. You know, they're, um, you know, the Lancia, for instance, to me is a version of a Fiat, after all. The, you know, the Delta. Yeah, mm. good car, looks nice, but it isn't a Lancia, really, it's a Fiat. Mm. But on the other hand, there's an NSU Row 80 there, and, and uh, I was well, I think you were too, well taken with the Peugeot 405, which is such oh, a beautiful, yeah. nicely set up car. How Simon picked the, did he pick himself, he chose himself one car from each decade, did he, that was, that I think it might have been a interesting. Might have been a matter, a little bit of expedience, you know, you, mm. you know what what was available, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. But, but he. But a oh no! He put a lot of work into yeah, it. Oh yeah, massive, God, yeah, massive went... amount. But a four hundred five, a four hundred five. I thought yes, I drove the one that we had there. So that was car of the year in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, yeah. anyway, there was an Audi one. I thought it was terrific. There. I thought and it was really good. Everything a family saloon should be. Yeah, in that, I thought it was great. Nice size still. Yeah, and and pretty good interior, durable car. Mm. You could see. You could still see all the things we praised it for, like the supple ride and the, the sort of um, ease of use, the the, uh, the utility of the thing. It was yeah. it was good car. Yeah. And uh, but the winner was ninety eight seven six. Yeah. Ford Focus. Yeah. Mark one Ford Focus. Brilliant! What a what a superb car it was, and when you drive it now, still is, isn't it? Yeah. It's just spot on. I, it was interesting for me because I. I perceived even more than I did at the time, I think, what a leap forward it was. Mm. I had an um, amazing experience with the Ford Focus. I went to the Geneva show. You remember the last thing they did was to announce the name? Yes. And we're at this dinner, and I'm sitting next to Jack Nasser, the boss of Ford. Yeah. And he's about to get on the stage and announce to the world what this car was called. And nobody, not even the Fordies, knew what it was called. Mm. So as he's about to get on the stage, I said to him, Jack, I want to be the first person in the world to know, know what it's called. Can you tell me? And he looked at me and he said, I don't think I can do that, Steve. And then he, he conversed for a little bit longer. Then he went up and announced the name. And he came back, sat down, and he said, did you get it? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And he said, I used, the Ford fo- I, I used the word focus about 20 times in all the things I said to you. <laughs> I said, no, mate. I'm, no, mate, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Too stupid. <laughs> Uh, tell me about no. We'll talk about a new Ford in a minute. The, the, also in that, also in the um, in the lineup, there was the Jaguar I Pace, which won five years ago or thereabouts. Yeah, that finished in the most nail biting finish there has ever been to Car of the Year. You were still a juror, weren't I you? I was a juror then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it finished equal on points with the Alpine A110. And They're a pair of really interesting choices, are, aren't they? Because they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. And, and Car of the Year doesn't pick, one, it doesn't pick expensive cars very often, but it certainly doesn't pick sports cars very often. So to find something like the A110 finishing level on points, and in the end they did a count back to see how many jurors had placed one or the other first in their rankings, and they picked the I-Pace 
that way. We, they, we picked. Um, but I think if I remember rightly, you can't buy an A110 in Ireland or somehow the Irish jurors, juror didn't quite make it onto the list of having been on the launch or getting one. I think maybe they weren't, in, maybe you can't buy one in Ireland. So he'd, he hadn't had a go in one. And had he awarded it a single point, he would have won. It would have, it would have tipped the balance. <laughs> it would have tipped the balance. Amazing. That would have been extraordinary too, because he, wouldn't it? The only time a car like that has ever won in sixty years is the Porsche nine two eight, and everything else has been a rather, you know, sort of, um, you know, a bit of a school runner, you know. Yeah, well, the two big criteria, aren't they? The idea is the car, it's the car that does its job the best, but with particular emphasis on technical innovation and value for money. Yeah. And in a lot of markets, value for money, they think, means cheap, yes. don't they? So that it ha- there have been a lot of rather unglamorous cars have won it over the yeah. years. But, but the but, Leaf one, didn't it? That Leaf one, good. yeah. And yeah. I like, you know, there are things, but Mark, um, our editor, Mark Tishaw, is now the autocar representative on the jury. Autocar is a sponsoring publication. And I do like the fact that it takes no money from nobody. You know, yeah. there isn't a fancy awards dinner with you know tables sponsorship from uni or there isn't yeah you don't they don't sell the logo thereafter you know it is purely funded by the the publications that, yeah. that, that put it together i think that's that's still the answer for all award ceremonies mm. you know but i i lose patience with journalism awards too where where you get the gong if you can be bothered to to enter yeah. your your nonsense well yeah. you know surely somebody should look at the whole field and decide who is actually the best. Exactly. Yeah, I agree, mate. I'm not a big fan of award ceremonies, uh, and I say that as somebody who has never won one. <laughs> <laughs> but also a person who is extremely reluctant to put on a dicky and go. Oh, there is a, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got this line that I still want to use in a column at some point, or in copy at some point, which is that bow ties are for Pomeranians and dinners you don't want to go to. And that's it. And, and at some point, I'll find a way to get that into something. Uh, well, it's, I think it's already on the ether it's, already. It's in there now. Uh, tell me about a new Ford. You've been driving a Ford Cougar. Yeah, well, it's. I just thought I should have a go in a few Fords because I, I have... I, I, my grandfather was a Ford dealer. I've, I've, I've sort of had, got Fords in the blood, even though, you, you know, obviously in this racket, you try and maintain, um, you know, ruthless... Um, um, Impartiality. Yeah, impartiality. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, I thought I should have a few goes, uh, drive a few Fords, and, the, and along came this Cougar, which is a perfectly innocuous looking car. Could it's one of those crossovers that could be a Hyundai or could be a Toyota, or mm. you know. But it it perfectly nice. Uh, but the very well equipped. I thought nicely made. I liked all the graphics and stuff that I that I get off on. It was relatively roomy. But the problem was the ride. And, you know, I am used to, well, you and I are between us. We're probably responsible for a good few thousand words about how wonderful Ford ride quality is, especially, you know, and how good they are at absorbing bumps and yet maintaining body control and all those things. And this car didn't do that. It crashed into the bumps and it was rather fidgety and horrible. And the steering committee, who admittedly has become pretty... um, Good judge of ride now because she, you know, I'm always banging on about it. And she's, I, she's, she, she spent a lot of time in a lot of cars, more yeah. than most dynamics engineers, you would think. I think so. Yeah, great variety. Yeah, and she was horrified. Uh, um, and I just found myself thinking, this car is on the wrong suspension. Somebody's bolted the suspension from a wheelbarrow underneath this car. 
uh, and they I just couldn't believe they could be quite so bad it, it was clearly a car that hadn't been tested in the UK you know how everybody you know back in the days of Parry Jones they used to say a car that will ride well in the UK will ride well everywhere well this car clearly hadn't been tested in our country and the interesting thing is that since that I've also had a go in in a, a Renault Astral, Austral sorry mm. which we've also criticised for you know a similar sort of car that we've also criticised for rather poor ride yeah but I think the Cougar was worse than the Austral so that, which I've makes not, it bad I've not driven a Cougar for a very long time I've not driven the latest one at all yeah. and, and I thought an Austral was yeah I was a bit I made honest, a, honest about the ride quality, and you, it's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so to find it's worse than that is a is a shocker, really. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. for a company like Ford, as you say, because if you're in the middle market of car manufacturers, you've got to, in my mind, offer something that nobody else offers because it's there are companies making money off of being value brands, companies making lots of money off of being premium brands, but then there's this whole mass market in the middle where it's difficult to sell cars to people unless you give people a very good reason to buy yours over somebody else's yeah and i wonder what ford's is yeah well they just had that that positioning for all the years in the uk as a you know seen as a british company weren't they Mm. and and even though they gave up making cars here several decades ago yeah I guess it was the first, I believe, one of the very first cars to be mass manufactured in this country. You know, first country when it made Model Ts after America. Mm. So we all got used to Ford being the local product and the default, a bit like Vauxhall, you know, yeah. dog and cat, Ford versus Vauxhall. Yeah. But now it hasn't got that that sort of, it's not that automatic choice anymore. And they they need to find a reason to be, I think. Mm. These cars were per- nice, but I, I, I would notice it every day. You know, I'd re- yeah. you know in, in the between you know your house here and Bista Heritage, two miles away, I would notice You'd it. Notice right. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steve and I will take a short break. We'll be back with uh, better Fords in a minute. Yeah, and good. Um, yeah, uh, join us in uh, just a few moments' time. What car would you buy if you could buy any car? What car would you buy if you knew you could save thousands? What car would you buy if you could compare the latest offers from approved dealers? What car would you buy if you could do all of this in one place in just a few simple clicks? And where would you go to buy that car? What car? Car buying made easy. Visit whatcar.com to buy your next new car. Welcome back to my week in cars. Uh, let's do a quick letter first, shall we, Steve, before we talk more Fords? Uh, let's, Paul Mason writes to say he's taken delivery of a Renault Megane E-Tech, which is found to be an excellent family car for daily life in Cornwall. Since taking delivery just before Christmas, I've travelled to Suffolk twice, which has meant charging on the electric highway. I've not had range anxiety, but have been frustrated by the speed of the chargers, often not charging at anywhere near the advertised rate and paying 79 pence per kilowatt. Mm. When at home, I can charge at 9p per kilowatt overnight, 36p during the day. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, he's well, overnight, he's on a good. really good deal, but where I am in Gloucestershire, it's 38p day and night. 
I drive a Skoda Kodiak 1.5 petrol DSG at work, says Paul, which is a good car, but after the Megane, it seems noisy and the auto box frustrates. And this is the bit I wanted to talk about in uh, Paul's letter. You do notice that, don't you? When you get out of an EV you back do. into a... I can't remember what I was driving. I got back into a petrol car with an auto gearbox. And I suddenly thought, wow, this feels... Yeah. This feels harsh. And it wasn't... It's not at all, really. Yeah. But yeah. There's just all this stuff going on suddenly. Yeah. But the, the thing I always bang on about, you know, which is part of what you're talking about, is the is the is the beautiful clean departure. You know, you just if if the if the car has been well set up, you you just you you tow it and it uh, and you get exactly what you asked for instantly. Yeah. And yeah. so, the precision of your departure is is just breathtaking compared with many cars, even you know, and particularly. Expensive ones with big engines, who are, which can be quite sluggish off the mark. Yeah, especially because they, I think they used to be better, but with start-stop systems. Yeah, and very slow, slow or carefully managed throttle introductions to keep the emissions clean. So they don't mm. want to, they don't want to lose any unburnt fuel, do they? So they're no. very, very, you know, the the fueling system is very carefully metered out. Yeah, I think actually that. Maybe it used to be the case that a very smooth auto was smoother than an auto today, mm. without very careful mm, well, I management. Believe that. Yeah, yeah. I think it must frustrate uh, car engineers to to hear people, us likes of us, bleating about um, slow departures because they they know how much um, calibration and careful engineering going into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, before we talk, the other Ford. Should we do my column a bit? Because yeah, it's yeah, on this theme. Yeah. So uh, James Atwood, the mag editor, you can find the magazine, by the way, at themagazineshop.com. Uh, print subscription, digital subscription, full access to the 129-year archive. Couple of gaps here and there, aren't there? Just, but not very big, not very big. There's a couple of issues missing. Just yeah, we're about to, to heal them over, aren't heal we? Heal them over with, I think, the assistance of the British Library, yeah. which, of course, has all of the issues in place so yeah they're all being digitized anyway that's all available uh james atwood drove an audi q8 e-tron dakar special edition late last year i think right. came with um eight wheels Amazing. because they give you a set of <laughs> off-road rubber with it as well and um and i thought actually the idea of an ev with a motor in each wheel would have a completely flat underside because it's just all battery. You just armor the underside quite yeah. quite easily. Um, the lack of a drive shaft. If you had a if you had a one of those, you did a feature on, didn't you? There's a, a people who make an electric motor or are developing an electric motor, which is very thin. Yes, and it's so it kind of looks disky rather than yeah, long. very much so. Yeah, so you could have uh, one of those in each wheel. So you don't need drive shafts, which would limit your axle movement. You don't have differentials hanging underneath the car. You don't have an exhaust hanging underneath the car. So completely flat underside on the car. Loads of suspension articulation. A motor in each corner, giving exactly the amount of power at exactly and braking braking at exactly the moment you want. Because the response of an electric motor is so fast and so easy to relatively easy compared to a mechanical system to meter out. I mean. What a four by four you could have! What an yeah. off-roader you could make! Indeed, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's a it's a whole new area, isn't it? We mm. want to see that. 
Yeah. There were, you know, just a year or two ago, people got all twisted up about the fact that you were going to have to dip all the electrical bits in the in the water and so on, but that's long gone. I mean, unlimited weight depth. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I did. I did once pitch the idea. It didn't get. Uh, it didn't get very far up the up the chain. In, in as a manufacturer announced some time ago, this um, it was a prototype EV. I won't name them and embarrass them, but I think. But they said, "Here it is. It's a prototype electric version of one of our very good off-roaders." And of course, it's all completely water sealed, so it doesn't have the weight depth issues that our normal off-roader have had. I said, "Tell you what, I've got a great idea." Why don't you let me drive it underneath a river from one side to the other, completely underwater? <laughs> I'll wear scuba gear. Great feature that'll be. They went away and said, well, uh, we'll chat to some engineers and see whether that sounds feasible or nothing. Yeah. But, but, you, you've, but you know, you know what I mean? You, you, you've seen enough cars abandoned in floodwater yeah. over the last week. I mean, an EV doesn't have to have those problems. No, no. It ingests no, no air. no. We're probably worried about you, mate, drowning. Well, probably. Yeah, that's probably the thing. Or just in case something isn't they quite totally sealed you know, and I'm on a metal the, box. The insurance with claim from your missus. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, let's talk an off-roader that does have... Oh, yeah, so anyway, my point was it felt that we're on the cusp of something yeah. exciting. Oh, I think I you're think, right. Absolutely right. true. Uh, but let's talk uh, an off-roader that does have a terrific wade depth because you and I have both spent time of late in the backy, the Ute, the Ford yeah. Ranger Raptor. <laughs> yeah, well, you're you've got an excuse. I mean, this is your long term, and you're going to write. You it know, has arrived. Yeah, sort of wise stuff about it, and uh, and talk about running it and making excuses for twenty two miles per gallon or whatever it is. Yeah, about that. I don't know why they didn't give it to you, mate. Because if you are in the market anyway, you could have. It could have. Well, you, it could have sort of. Well, no, the thing is, I was just. I already have this Audi, which is you know to which I should be doing justice. Mm. But I, I shamelessly borrowed it for the week after um, Christmas, just because I don't know. I just, I just had to have a go in one. Yeah, and they very kindly indulged me, yeah. even though I was nasty about their Cougar. Well, that's all right, mate. You know, yin and yang, as they say. But I, I just think it's terrific. I, yeah. I think there's so many, so much to like about it. So many surprises. Mm. It's very quiet. Cruises quietly. Yeah. The tires are amazingly quiet. On it. There were some surfaces where I reckon it's quieter than than several of the bigger luxury saloons. Mm-hmm. Just the road noise I'm talking. Pretty good steering. Yeah, I love the view. Um, I love the. It's a surprising feeling rigidity. I think. I mean, it, and loads of stuff like uh, you know radar, cruise controls, and you know configure the lights that look down the road and half turn themselves off so as not to dazzle the blade. Yeah, they coming. do work pretty well, actually, don't they? I've yeah. found that in the past. Yeah, not all manufacturers get that right, but these systems no. are pretty good. Yeah. And it, and it's a, I mean, it can be a bit of a challenge parking it, but I think if you attack the problem with the right mindset, it's okay. Yeah. I, there is one co-op locally I will barely go to unless the car park is half empty. Because it does have, it's very old, has very small spaces. But I'm enjoy. I feel a bit of a burke in it sometimes. But <laughs> I, I am enjoying. I think it's a very good. Well, of course, you had the orange, really a restrained grey. Well, that, yeah, that does improve things a bit. I think. <laughs> yeah, and it was developed in Australia, wasn't it? Primarily, where it has even more power from the 3.5 EcoBoost V6 than we're allowed in the UK. Yeah, I think in um, in Australia, I, th- I believe 
it's it'll they, it comes with 400 yeah because they don't have a petrol particulate filter i don't think okay and i spoke to a uh australian motoring journalist about them i said you know if space is the premium isn't it really that's what you, you want you want habitat frankly you know any any animal wants habitat to, to thrive in i said could you go uh this guy called scott newman i said could you go scotty somewhere where you could just drive it you know flat out on loose terrain he said mate you could empty the tank of fuel and see not another person yeah and the right and it's i just i love the car but i do feel that it, i don't quite live in the right place no 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 i suppose the well part of my um the appeal to me is nostalgia you know, mm. because as a kid I can remember being you know bunged in the back of a Holden ute on top of a load of rubbish to go to the dump and yeah. that was the kind of uh, weekend ritual that there was somebody in our neighborhood was always borrowing a ute from his mate to go and he would always load up the kids as well and and that I just remember carefree days in utes I suppose yeah. in terms of its capabilities versus a luxury 4x4 slash SUV would you have one over well I've read your columns yeah, yeah. would you have one over as something that you would consider a <laughs> that somebody you know some, somebody would consider a luxury brand would you have a Ford Ranger I would I absolutely would I have nailed my uh, colours to the mast I said that that if I could have the change I would much rather have one of these than a Range Rover yeah or I would prefer one to a Range Rover. I'm not saying it wouldn't be wonderful to have a Range Rover, but mm. but if you said, um, <clears throat> you know, you can have a Ranger and sixty grand instead of a a, a Range Rover, yeah, I would take the Ford any day. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Actually, I think the new Range Rover works best still for me at its lower price end, which I know is expensive these days, but the ones that are super luxe. Super long with a with the you know twin aircraft cabin chairs in the back. I don't think they work quite as well as the the slightly more honest lower spec ones. I think that was true of the previous gen, and I think it's true of this. I think that, well. but that that doesn't that theory run through right through the jewelry watch fashion industry? You know, there are there are cars that justify their natural price, mm. and there are cars. With there are top end models created for people who just need to pay more. Yeah, you know the remember the old story about the I think it was a bloke with a Bentley in China who wanted to buy the concept car off the Chinese show stand, and his his man approached the 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 think the company reps and said, Mister So and So would love to buy this car, but he's got a problem with it. It's not. He's worried about the price, and what they needed was what the, the upshot was. They they took it away and and created another two hundred thousand quids worth of value in the car in order to make him pay it, so he could pay a million oh, really? for it. There <laughs> it was, are and there are people who will what who always buy the most expensive version, don't yeah, they? and the, you've got to cater. Yeah, and them. I think it's less quite often. It is, if you go through, I think, for instance, if you go through a Bentley or a Porsche options list and tick everything you'd probably finish up with a bit of a strange car yeah it? i reckon you would and ah uh, you know the the ones that are that have just got just just tickled a bit with a few options they're the ones yeah i think so i think so i reckon that brings us to the end of this week's my week in cars what are your movements over the next week or two steve are you away 
No, um, now then, um, I've got to go to France in a week or two to to find out about the new um, the Renault E-Tech transmission. The, I don't know if you heard about this, but the, the, they've got quite an interesting hybrid transmission. Oh, is this the Lego fellow we talked about a few weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. The, this gentleman. I'm going to meet him, and he Excellent. and I'm going to see the piece of Lego. Fantastic, fantastic. Oh, I look forward to that very much. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, but Steve and I will be back this time. Next week. In the meantime, you can find. Oh, you know what? There's a first drive coming on Thursday night. I the embargoes agreement means I can't even tell you what it is. Ah. It's top proper top secret. Uh. Proper top secret. Oh, well, that sounds good. Yeah, no, it's really it's really good. There is a uh, Mercedes CLE drive from me in the mag this week, which is online now. Um, I've got a column coming this week. There's other stuff. Um, I've got a bit to write off an interview with Rawdon Glover, the managing director of Jaguar. Oh, I look forward to that. Yeah, it'll be... Yeah, really look forward to that. He didn't say too much, but, Mm. but, um, you know, he did his best. Yeah. Um, And Matt Saunders has written an Aston Martin DB12 versus Ferrari Roma versus Maserati Gran Turismo feature in the mag this week. Sounds good. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Another year begins, mate. It does. It doesn't stop, does it? It doesn't stop. So Steve and I will be back, uh, yes, same time, same place, this time next week. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.